Good morning, everyone. So this month, we're talking about love all month long. And I want to offer Reverend Sharon here a challenge. Sharon's like, what? We didn't plan on this. <laughs> um, she did such a lovely opening prayer, and she said something I think that is really interesting, and I think we just accept it on fact. She said that God is love, that the biggest container of everything is God, and it's love. So my challenge, and it's not just for Sharon, <laughs> it's for all of us, what does that mean exactly? What is God's love like? You know, here, here on the planet, so to speak, we're used to so many forms of, of love, aren't we? We're, we're used to love, certainly, that couples share in that traditional way, uh, or sometimes not traditional way. But we're also used to feelings of love for family members. We're used to feelings of love for uh, best friends and, and for, for people in our community. Isn't there even a kind of a feeling of, uh, of connection that feels a little bit of love sometimes with our coworkers? and other people that we don't even really know all that well. How is that different than God's love? You know, this week we're talking about the idea of unconditional love or real love, and I'm using this book of Greg Bears, and uh, he's giving us some pointers on human love, you know, how we can make our personal relationships more powerful, more loving, and more intimate. But I want to start back a step or two. I'm going to take a look at God's love, and I'm reading here from the Science of Mind textbook by Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, and he says, love is the self-givingness of the spirit through the desire of life to express itself. I think this is amazing. Let me read this one more time. Love is the self-givingness of the spirit through the desire of life to express itself. Now, there is no way that that has conditions to it. Do you understand where I'm coming from? And, and in fact, there's a, there's a Bible quote somewhere about the rain from heaven falling on both the just and the unjust. And, and to me, what that means is that God's love is simply present. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you show up. It doesn't matter whether you're having a good day or a bad day. It doesn't matter whether you accidentally kicked the dog that day or not. God's love is present for you always. And there's never a string attached. Never a string attached. In fact, the only uh, corrective action, if you will, that God ever takes is simply that occasionally we fall down on our own and we have to pick ourselves up on our own. Do you know what I mean? But in terms of the true force of God, the true force of love, it is always there. And so I think, I think, that the reason that our relationships sometimes don't go as we'd like them to, the reason that sometimes our coworkers are stressed out and treat us poorly, the, the reason that sometimes we end up with first marriages and then second marriages and maybe third marriages isn't because love has gone haywire. It's because we put conditions on it. And that's what this whole book is about. And today I'm going to talk about what some of those conditions are and how we can get around them. In fact, um, I'm going to talk specifically about four steps towards gaining a better and more intimate and unconditional love in our lives. And it can apply to a marriage, it can apply to dating, it can apply to co-workers, it can apply to your best friends. It will work in all of our relationships. But before we get there, I want to start with um, some other experts on love. These are school children's view of what love is. 
So Manuel, age eight, I think has an interesting idea. He says, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but, but the rest of it isn't so painful. <laughs> May, age nine, says, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Greg, age eight, says, love is the most important thing of the world, but baseball's pretty good. <laughs> now, Mike here, obviously, at age 10, is a, is a man of the world. He says, well, on the first date, they generally just tell each other lies, but that gets them interested enough for a second date. <laughs> I, think, I, think my, I think Mike is, uh, is uh, smarter than, than 10. Jill, Jill, age six, says, "I'm in favor as long I'm in favor of love as long as it doesn't happen when dinosaurs is on TV." <laughs> All right, let's do one more on here. Andrew, age six. One, uh, so here's how it works: one of the people has freckles or something, and so he finds someone else who has freckles or something, and then they fall in love. <laughs> But, but let's summarize it all by what Kenny at age seven says. Kenny says, it gives me a headache to think about this stuff. I'm just a kid. <laughs> and, and you know, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that is good advice. Maybe we should approach love fresh again. Maybe we should approach love from that young person's point of view, without all the baggage and experience of the love affairs that have gone wrong or, um, or issues in relationships that seem unsolvable. I mean, when you're seven years old, don't you know that the world can turn out the way you want? Don't you have that sense of infinite possibility? So let's start there today. So the four steps towards unconditional and more intimate love are these. First of all, Greg Bear says you have to have a desire to change. It's like, oh, damn, right from the get-go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But isn't it true? There's an inertia to life. There's an inertia to the way we are with the people in our life. And if we think that somehow it's going to get better without us doing a thing... Hello, <laughs> what's the same in all of our relationships? What's, what's the same that has been there when everything has gone wrong, right? It's us. It's us. We're, we're, of course, we're in charge of the great successes in our lives. We're in charge of the great love in our lives. But all the relationships that have gone wrong, we're in charge of those too. And unless we're willing to change, unless we're really willing to go out on a little bit of a limb, because I know that change is hard. And in fact, I want to I wanna play something by you to see if it isn't true. Because I would bet any number of people in this room have had some victory over compulsive behaviors. And whether, it's, uh, whether it was a, a drinking problem, whether it was drug abuse, whether it was uh, um, uh, losing weight or you know, uh, quitting smoking, I bet probably upwards of 80% of the people in this room have had some kind of a triumph over compulsive behavior. Isn't it hard? I'm afraid to say that changing our behaviors around love could be just as tricky. There has to be this willingness in us that love is more important, that having an unconditional, a more true love, to have a, a better relationship to once and for all, have a, a friendship that's pure and good, these have to outweigh the inconveniences that may come up 
with when we try to make a change in ourselves. So are we game for this? Are we game to look at some of our behavior? Some of you are nodding. Others of you look a little scared. I guess I am asking you to agree to something before you know what it is. All right. Well, we'll save the agreement for a little bit after we've talked about it more. The second thing that we have, well, why not? You know, we got to look at it before we buy it. All right. Next up on these four sessions or these four ways of becoming more intimate and uh, more unconditional in our loving is to exercise faith. Now, of course, we are people of faith. You know, we each have a, a proud and wonderful connection to God. And here the faith, I think, extends, we need to extend it to ourselves and our own ability to accomplish something different in the world. We are in charge of our lives. And whether we, we consciously are doing it or whether it's on a more unconscious state of mind, we have created our lives exactly the way it is. And so in that respect, we are 100% capable. Now, occasionally we're capable of making a mess instead of capable of making something that's lasting and beautiful. But we are capable. And that faith in our and that knowledge of God's love being always present really is all we need. But we do have to believe in it. We can't believe that someone else is going to take us out of misery. We can't believe that God will magically make a relationship turn better. We have to be willing and we have to have faith in our own gumption, in our own energy, in our own intentions of being more loving and making changes. All right, number three, we touched upon it last week a little bit, but I want to elaborate on it uh, some more, and that's the ability to know and tell the truth about ourselves. Now, last week we talked about that in terms of, well, how we show up, and whether we're on a dating uh, site and tempted to use a picture of ourselves from 20 years ago, or, or whether we're talking over the, uh, the phone with a friend and we're, we're kind of just playing down some of the negative things that have gone on in our lives and playing up the positive things. No matter how you look at it, what we tend to do often is to fib a little bit about ourselves. This cannot be done in a relationship that really is going to be based on unconditional love. The people who love us need to love us. And that includes us, warts and all, flaws and all, uh, troublesome from the past and all. And if you think about it, do you really want someone to be in love with you that's not in love with you, but it's in love with somebody else? Do you know what I mean? There's that, there's that pressure of somehow being something that you're not. There's that pressure of being the, the perfect parent or the perfect mate or looking always a certain way or living up to some standards that just aren't you. And if you fall into this pattern, what happens, of course, is, well, the friends that you're attracting in, they're not in love with you. They're not thinking of friendship with you. They want a best friend with this mythical character called Larry King. Do you know what I mean? The, the Larry King that's, whose house is always picked up and, and, and where the, the yard has always been cleared of the dog poop. And I got to tell you, if you come over to my house, you got to be careful when you go out in the yard. <laughs> we are not perfect human beings. And our ability to show up authentically, our ability to say exactly who and what we are to other people is critical in our nature of intimacy. When we show up as ourselves, we're seen as ourselves. When we're seen as ourselves, we can be accepted for who we truly are 
And that and only that is the basis of true love. Otherwise, you and that other person are becoming friends with something that they don't even know. That's why so often, the, you know, it's interesting, I often do a little bit of couples counseling, and very often, six months into a move-in relationship or a marriage, I'll get the folks in and I'll, I'll get various descriptions of, well, I had no idea she was XXXXX. Or, or while we were together, while we were dating, he always XXXXX. It's like, who is this person? Well, that's the trouble. The two of you that were dating weren't the two of you. It was some magical idea of who you could be or who you should be, showing up wearing the the cleaner clothes and the brighter smile, playing down the negative things that happened to work. And part of it was that exhilaration that comes with infatuation. I mean, I understand we're not trying to lie to one another, but on the other hand, I would put it to you, the more you can be absolutely truthful even from the get-go, even when you're dating, even when you meet someone that you first think you might want to be friends with, let us not gloss over or upplay our lives into someone and something that we are not. You want that person to be your friend, not someone else's. All right, number four. And here's the part where afterwards I am going to ask us to make some changes. <clears throat> so listen up, because this was a hard road to hoe for me, and I think other people might find some of these difficult as well. Step four is giving up our getting and protecting behaviors. So let me explain this. A getting or a protecting behavior is anything that we do to someone else designed to help us feel something that we're not. So, for instance, uh, when I was growing up, my mom would often do this little behavior that today I think we call shaming. And it was trying to control someone, me, to do what she wanted. And her methods of shaming were very subtle. It was like, oh, no, no, don't bother. I can clean up your room once I've done the dishes and done the, and of course I'm at work today, but I understand, I understand you have the things you need to do too. It was that kind of weird passive aggressive shaming. It was like, I, and what, what is it saying? It's saying, I will love you if you clean your room. This is a very typical um, getting or sustaining or um, protecting behavior. It's, it's dangling a carrot out, saying, if you do things, I will behave in a certain way. The other thing that we used to do in my family, another getting and, and uh, protecting behavior, uh, you know, a lot of families just fight. Have you ever been to a family where they just have a, a good, old, honest, drag-out fight, and they're kind of yelling each over uh, over the dinner table? And what, but actually, kind of what, although, I, although that's so not me, what, what at least I like about it is when it's done, they just kind of like, phew, that was done, and now we'll have dinner. <laughs> do you know what I mean? In my family, though, it was the silent treatment. Have you you ever had the silent treatment before? It's like you'll wander in and it's like, my parents have never been this quiet in my entire life. What's going on? And like, well, what's going on, mom? Nothing. <laughs> this is the protecting behavior and the getting behavior of withholding love. 
I'm not going to interact with you. I'm not going to give you any of my pleasant interchanges. I'm not going to be there for you. I'm not going to have sex with you. (gasps) Did I say that? Um, I'm not going to show up for you until, right? Until this variety of things happens. Another getting and protecting behavior is simply fibbing, simply lying. You know, telling your, your partner that uh, you had a flat tire off after work rather than you went out and had a drink with a friend. How many times do we make little fibs that in our minds I think, you know what, do we ever really intentionally lie to someone we love? I think very, very seldom. I mean, maybe, but very, very, very seldom. I think more likely what happens is we actually think that this will help our love with them. That by not bringing up something that might cause controversy, we're promoting the stability of the relationship. Doesn't it sound like I'm making up total bullshit? It's because it's it is. It's be, I had you though for a minute. It's because it is. When we lie in a relationship of any kind, we are simply misrepresenting ourselves. And when we misrepresent ourselves, when we make something up about ourselves or our life or what has happened, we are saying that I'm not good enough for you to actually love me. You have to be in love with this more perfect person. I'm not only dissing you by lying to you, but I'm basically saying I'm not worthy of being in this relationship with you. Some other uh, uh, protecting behaviors. Um, This one I'm almost embarrassed that it took me so long to catch in on. My my first long-term relationship... Oh my gosh, where we we were in love. I mean, it was romantic love, and it was infatuation, and and uh, it you know it it was sweet, and we were both kind of struggling financially at the time. It was about all we could do to scrape together the rent and the apartment we had, and you know it was kind of one of those romance stories that you see on TV, and uh, and finally my career started taking off a little bit. And I started earning more money, and it was time for, well, we could look at a nicer apartment, and, and, you know, things were really turning around for us. And my partner started doing this little thing. Let me illustrate it. I would, I would walk in, and I would say something like, oh, my gosh, today is gorgeous. Have you ever seen a sky so blue? And he would say, the sky isn't blue. And I'd be like, What? And he'd say, well, that whole thing is just a fallacy, Larry. It's really a reflection on ionized things in the air. I mean, the sky is clear. Everyone knows the sky is clear. It's just really an illusion. And I'd be like, "Uh, okay, all right. But, but isn't it beautiful? Isn't this then illusion? <laughs> isn't it so beautiful today? It's such a pretty color of blue, this illusion. And he would say, Larry, it's not blue at all. And I'd say, well, what do you mean? And he'd say, well, well, this is blue, like this, the shirt that Suki has on. He'd say, that is blue. And I'd look up, and I'd look at whatever he'd pointed to, and I'd say, well, they're blue-ish. And he'd say, no, that's periwinkle. <laughs> and what I began to realize was this was actually a protective behavior on his part. 
Now, you might question this because it sounds like, what's he doing? He's like trying to tear down your sense of a beautiful day and, and being fully present by, in, in essence, disagreeing and needing to be right about everything. You know, he's, he's trading happiness here for, for being right or, or creating an argument. Who would do that? Well, back to the idea of inertia. Our relationships have an inertia in them as well. And when we come together, there are all kinds of sad and unsaid agreements about how things work. Here were the two of us, very poor, living in a, in a one-bedroom apartment, really struggling. And yet, we had reached a kind of an agreement about how things worked and how the money worked and, and who paid for what. And I started earning too much money. And it threw off the dynamics. <laughs> And suddenly he did not feel as worthwhile. He did not feel that he was pulling his weight anymore. And so the inertia of that status quo, the inertia of this is the way things are supposed to be, really was in danger of wrecking the beautiful relationship that we had. And it was absolutely him trying to keep the relationship. And I'm sure he wasn't even doing it in any kind of a, a thoughtful way. It was just an unconscious reaction to try to tip us back into the way we were. I'm here to tell you, we cannot do that. Our relationships always have to be growing. There's always something on the horizon. There's always a more profound way to love. There's always another layer of intimacy. And if we allow our inertia, whether it's in ourself and not wanting to change us, or whether it's the inertia of the relationship and how the two of you have worked things out in your homes and in your finances. And, and it happens uh, with best friends. It happens with family members. Have you ever seen a family that's just totally totally at sea when the kids move off to college. It's because that inertia of, of the family being together and knowing how to love and comfort itself in a certain way gets dispersed. It gets disrupted. And suddenly, we're at sea. We don't know how to be. And we start doing all of these strange and weird behaviors to try to get... That's why, you know, parents will phone their kids off at college and with the out, most outrageous shaming behaviors. You know, like, it's been three days and I haven't heard from you. Well, it's because the parents are longing that stability of everyone under the roof again. It isn't that they stopped loving us when we go off to college or when we get married and set up our own houses. That what seems to be a controlling behavior is a controlling behavior. It's putting conditions on our love. More controlling behaviors are the, if you loved me, you would do XXXXX. If you really understand, and you get it from friends too. You know, I thought we had the kind of friendship where you would pay for half of the evenings when we go out. I thought we had the kind of marriage where you would pick up all of your clothes and get them ready to go in the laundry. I thought we had the kind of relationship, the kind of marriage if you only loved me, if you loved me enough, you would behave differently. Hugely controlling, hugely manipulative. And yet, I hear those kinds of things frequently from people, and we don't even know that we're doing them. All of these behaviors can be reduced 
to one way of classification. And, and, and I want to end today with talking about how you can tell if you have some behaviors in your own lives. Because there are as many of these behaviors as there are people in this room. Each one of us has tailored some approaches to conditional loving, and I'll give you the formula for spotting them. It is simply anything that we do to get praise, power, pleasure, or safety from someone else. So I'm going to repeat this again. Anything we do to either get or to keep praise, power, pleasure, or safety. Now think about this for a minute. Can someone really give us those things? I don't think so. So right from the get-go, we're probably trying to produce behaviors or outcomes that we're doomed to failure with anyway. I mean, the only person that can make me feel safe is me. The only person that can make me feel loved really is me. I mean, other people help, don't get me wrong. I mean, having friends is marvelous. Having loved ones and family members is marvelous. But you can never make someone love you. You can never m make anyone feel loved. All of these have to come from within. So from the get-go, these are flawed strategies, and yet how many times and in how many different ways do we try to get praise, power, pleasure, or safety from someone else? These are the activities that we must release. These are the changes we must make. This is the faith that we have to exercise, knowing that we can do it. These are the self-examinations that have to happen in our own heart and in our own behaviors so that we can spot them. And they can be so subtle, so very subtle. Sometimes they don't come off as controlling and aggressive at all. Sometimes they come off as being quite passive. We'll do whatever you want, honey. Right? That doesn't sound aggressive at all. But what it's saying is, right, you'll love me if I give in. Another controlling behavior. So let us, that's your homework for this week. And I know some of you are like going, okay, I'm sure not going to promise now that I know what we're up for. But are we all willing this week to take a look at some of those behaviors in ourselves? So if we do or say things, again, that are oriented towards gaining pleasure, gaining, gosh, now I forgot what they are, power or praise or safety and security. Let's take a look at those, okay? All right, good enough. I want to close with a quote today and a prayer. First, the quote. When we believe the world to be unloving and harsh, we naturally see evidence of this to support our belief. We even see attacks when there are none, and we have a tendency to protect ourselves and to try to gain the upper hand. But when we simply choose to have faith in the outrageous possibility of being loved, we see the evidence of that, and that people accept and love us much faster through our faith. Let us pray. 
There is one power and one presence. There is one God, and that is truly the God of love. And that love is raining down on us always, even as the rain in Portland seems unceasing. I know that the rain of love from heaven is permanent and fulsome, and it is here for me. It is here for each person in this room, that divine love, always granted, always given, always present. And I know that as we take steps in our own lives to better mimic that idea of God's love, that idea of unconditional love, that idea of love with no strings attached, so our own behaviors, our own relationships, our own love affairs begin to sweeten, begin to deepen, begin to grow. Truly, God's love is present in us and the, to the degree that we begin showing that love outwardly with no strings attached just authentically as ourselves, expecting nothing in return. Truly intimacy blossoms. Truly that, that God of love begins working through us. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for the willingness of the people in this room to take a look at what's going on in our own lives and make a change. Grateful always for the faith, the power, and the joy of God. I just let it be, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for being here today.